Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. We pick up with the Mandalorian after he has just retrieved the child, who of course we know familiarly as Baby Yoda, and they're waltzing through the desert when they are uh, attacked by a league of sort of reptilian bounty hunters who are also, of course, after Baby Yoda. He's able to fend them off uh, and is injured in the process. This is the first time we get to see uh, in live action film the force heal uh, effect that has been very prevalent in Lucasfilm in the last several months. They move on a little bit the further. The first attempt at it. It doesn't work? In this 20? No. So when he goes over to try it, uh, the Mandalorian doesn't really know what he's doing. So he puts him back in his crib and closes him up tight for the night. (laughs) Right, right, right. And then they move on to uh, some Jawas, and there's a bit of a confrontation there. Exactly. So they get back to the Razor Crest, and Mando is pissed because he sees that they've picked it clean. Uh, he starts disintegrating some of the Jawas. Baby Yoda's very intrigued by this. Uh, Mando starts running after them. He's chasing the Sandcrawler. Uh, he climbs aboard it. It's uh, this kind of back and forth where you think he's fallen off, but he makes his way to the top. Uh, after beating up some Jawas and throwing a few of them off, they electrocute him. He falls down. Uh, and then he has to go to Kuil to get some help to be able to try and negotiate with these menace Jawas. Uh, Kuil brings him back. They start negotiation. They want uh, some of his his Beskar or Baby Yoda. He says no. Uh, and then they say, oh, the egg. And so now Mando's <laughs> job is to get the egg. And he, I guess he goes to get the egg with a little bit more uh, red, reticent guidance from Kuil, right? Who has kind of become the the Mandalorian's... Uh, Wilson on the other side of the fence when he's in these regions, giving him a lot of advice. Um, he goes and battles the, what do we call the the rhinoceros creature? The Mudhorn. He battles the Mudhorn. Uh, it's not going well. This thing is a serious beast. It and is it, kicking his it's ass. It's kicking his ass. He's covered in mud. It's just not going to happen. And then Baby Yoda has another attempt at using the Force. And oh, baby, this time it works. Yes, the final charge of the Mudhorn is going to take out the Mandalorian. Baby Yoda uses the Force to stop him, floats him in midair where the Mando stabs him. Uh, He dies. He takes the egg to the Jawas. He makes the trade. The Jawas just eat the egg. uh, And he gets all of his materials back. Baby Yoda is so tuckered out that he's asleep. Uh, Quill and Mando don't know what's going on. Quill rejects joining Mando's crew but appreciates the offer. Uh, Mando flies off in his fixed razor crest. And Baby Yoda wakes up as they uh, soar off into space. It really is such a contained episode of television. It almost could lift right out of the series. You wouldn't want it to because it develops the characters really well. It moves them forward. Forward, yes. though. It gets them off the planet. I, there are The only episode uh, of the eight that 100% lifts out is episode five. Okay. And that's when they go to Tatooine. You literally can take that episode out, and the series does not change at all. The only thing that it can add to it is those uh, spurs that oh, we yeah. hear at the end. That's the only kind of element that will return. Maybe some of the characters, because Tatooine will be a place that we'll go back to. But in particular, that's the only episode that can fully lift out. I really, really like this one. It's one of it's uh, oh, Famiyu. It's a great episode. It's a really good episode. I just want to touch on something you said a minute ago because I remember clearly when I watched this episode for the first time that they're chasing after this egg again. The 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 MacGuffins uh, of Star Wars becoming more and more normalized, and I guess that's fine. The egg, but you're so sure that the Jawas want this egg so that they can wrangle one of these rhinoceros things. What's it called? 
Mudhorn. Mudhorn. And that makes perfect sense. Like, of course, these weak little junk traders want to have a big, strong pet that can be their muscle. And note, they just want to eat the egg. And it's in my take backs only because it's so gross. It <laughs> the is disgusting. The way they, they, they reach in and they just like eat the yolk with their hands. Suka! Suka, suka! <laughs> That's what they call it. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, but in particular, I didn't think that they were trying to raise it as a pet. I thought it was like ceremonial of sorts and like they were oh. going to like praise the egg of sorts. But no, under no circumstances did I expect them to eat it. Or at the I, very least, you'd think they're wanting to acquire it for further trading purposes. Yeah, exactly. It could be something that's very... I thought it was something that was like very sacred and like it was going to... Like they were basically sending him on a death mission. Yes. Like I thought it was like it was almost like they were like joking. Like we're not going to get anything from this guy. Let's send him for the egg. Well, that might be partly true. I think it partly was because yeah. they give up at the end and Kuil's like, oh, you should wait a little longer for him. Right. Um, but the practical effects for that egg, they just ripped the head off a mop. Uh, <laughs> I, I love how old school Star Wars it is in that regard. This episode in particular really is. it, And I wanted to talk a little bit about the paradigm shift we've had in our podcast in these last two episodes and that for 63 episodes of the pod, we have talked exclusively about film. Granted, episodic segments that we have divided on our own of film, but something that was created for the medium of film nonetheless. And now we're talking about a different medium altogether, a completely different vessel for how to pace a story. And in a way, even though it takes place within the Star Wars universe and it uses Star Wars imagery characters and terminology uh in a way it almost feels a little bit more like star trek because of how episodic and and frankly how grassroots uh practical effecty it is this is clearly a sound stage and i mean it's budgeted better than than it is. 60 star trek was yeah but i mean it also it shares those same practical effects with the original trilogy sure and i think that's one of the big things in this 20 20- really has a lot of that same imagery, especially with the sand crawler, that being something that is so 1977. Uh, but in particular, I just noticed on my page here, and I don't know if, uh, I don't know the last time that this has happened, but I don't have any take backs. Oh, that's interesting. I don't have a single thing written down. And in retrospect, when I think about it, I can't think of anything. I There's mean, maybe not quite enough dialogue in the sense that like, I almost wish there was some other thing that happens in this episode. It's deliberate that there's very little dialogue in this episode. Yeah, but just in the sense that because it's a shorter episode and it like it seems like it's missing like maybe five minutes. Well, I have but, this down as a take back, but I, I have a feeling you'll be able to argue me out of that sure. mindset. And it's just got to do with this little Mandalorian dagger that he pulls out of his boot and he uses it to kill the rhinoceros. Okay. It's a very, it's like a switchblade. It's a tiny little thing and one stab to the side takes this thing down. So it's my master question. Okay. Uh, what is it? I don't know. Well, it's a vibroblade. I see. So in particular, uh, like it's like we're going straight up uh, Black Panther with like, um, what's it called? Vibranium. Vibranium. It's vi- it's essentially the exact same thing. It's a special magic element that can do anything. Yeah. The um, In the next episode, Paz Vizsla pulls out the, his, his same um, um, vibroblade knife to, okay. to Mando. And you can see it very subtly, only ever so subtly, it's shimmering. So it's like a... It's not just a knife. It's a knife like that is moving as fast as a hummingbird. Does it zap the creature? Does it infect the creature? Uh, 
I don't believe in facts. Uh, I don't know too, too, too much about it. I should look into it a little bit more into the specifics, especially as I made it one of my questions. I knew what it was, but uh, I think that's probably why I didn't look into it because I just knew what it was in the Star Wars world. But I don't know a whole lot about them, but I know Mando's used them. I think it could have been beneficial if they worked in a little bit of exposition where he like tells Kuil what it is, just so that we understand that it only takes one hit to ting- to bring this thing down. Because it took me out of it for a second. I was like, this is clearly the most ferocious beast he's seen in a minute. And it goes down by like the, the prick of a toothpick. It uh, I think the big element is the fact that it's being dropped. Mm-hmm. So it just fell like a meter. Yes. And as it's like falling, it gets a knife that's vibrating in the jugular. And he twists it right away. Right. So that's the big thing for me. It's the fact that he gets it in the perfect spot as the beast is just falling and not expecting it. And it's like twisted as he puts it in. So it's like, yes. it it's the perfect shot because Yoda's just, baby Yoda's holding him there for it. So that, like, even if it was just a normal blade, because I didn't notice, I've watched it. This is the fourth, uh, fourth, fifth time I've watched mm-hmm. this episode. And this is the first time I noticed that it was a vibra blade. Okay. Uh, whereas I've not- I noticed it in the third episode the first time I watched it. But I, I thought the same thing before, but the hit seemed like it worked for me. Isn't it interesting that both in the instance of Yoda and the Yodeling, the first time we ever see them perform a major act of force power, it is to lift something enormously heavy. Yes, judge me not by my size. <laughs> well, exactly. But do you think that speaks at all to the specifics of the Yoda species uh, abilities or is it just the most visual representation of how to use the force or is it that it's just very primitive and this little creature doesn't even understand its own force powers yet but it does know how it does know what it wants because mm. it loves the Mandalorian already for rescuing it yes and it knows how to move its hands yes so that would be my belief in the yes. sense that it is instinctual for these beings to use the force and understand the force because okay. your midi-chlorian count which Yoda had the highest prior to Anakin. Yeah. And so your midi-chlorian count is essentially your, um, almost like your receptors to the force, your ability to, to hear it, your ability for it to go and kind of flow through you. And so if it's just natural instinct, the way anything would be with an animal, uh, the instinct would be guided by the force. So the child has really no ability to kind of be corrupted at that specific point. It's doing exactly the force as well. So let's talk about force healing. It doesn't effectively work in this scene, as you pointed out. No, but he uses it later, and he tries to use it again after this episode, even. And isn't it interesting that we didn't see it at all before 2019, and now they're peppering in a lot of instances of this force healing ability. Do you suppose that F and F, that's what I'm calling them now. That's what I called them. Fast and Furious. I sent you a text, F and F, and you called Uh, them Fast and Furious, which was good. Which is funny because George Lucas, his number one directing tip was always uh, faster and more intense. (laughs) Just faster and more intense or faster and more furious. Yeah, okay. There you go. Do you suppose that FF had any kind of uh, chit chat about force healing with JJ? Yes. Probably, right? Like together, let's make this a more prevalent... uh, thing that exists within our universe yeah whether it was chris terrio uh that was did it with them or whether it was jj or whether it was the uh, the story group there's no way that it was coincidental uh force healing's been around since the 80s or 90s in legends uh so it's been very frequent in star wars and it's like it it's not an outrageous thing at all it makes but, sense in that regard. but this is absolutely the first time it's being brought to the mainstream but that is the reason as to why there's multiple occurrences in our mainstream star wars media is so that we're 
were prepared for it. But can't you see Kathleen or JJ or somebody having gone to Favreau and Filoni and said, you're going to need to work in force healing so that people have seen it just before they see Rise of Skywalker. So it's not really jarring when they see it in Rise of Skywalker. I think that uh, JJ and Terrio saw the scripts for Mandalorian. Oh. I don't. I think Mandalorian's been written longer than Rise of Skywalker was written. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Except for that, we we update these things as we go. Yeah. Very seldom is the is the original treatment what they're shooting with. Well, but that imp- I would say even more so with the Rise of Skywalker when it comes to flying by the seat of their pants. Well, true. And, like Favreau had these scripts written a while ago. Clearly, like only a couple, like the adjustments were done by Filoni and you can always see which ones, like those things that are done after the fact. But right. I think the force healing stuff, I think there's a chance that they were the one that placed this seed uh, and that JJ or Terrio picked up on it. Do you find that Mando is more hostile than even usual in this, in this episode? Like he he's is pissed. He's really pissed and he's always pretty guarded throughout the series. And yes, he softens over the arc of the first season. But in this episode in particular, he is just mad at anybody getting in his way. Well, I kind of can't blame him, though. Sure. Uh, Rough weekend. Yeah, but all of these bounty hunters are now going after the same target. He wasn't told that there was going to be multiple people after the same target. Now he's got to fend them all off. His ship gets stripped, and he's got to essentially trade back for his own assets. Yeah. It makes sense that he'd be really, really friggin' angry. Uh, but yeah, he's, it, it's to show his agitation and to show the rough edges that he has so that in the next episode, we expect him to leave Baby Yoda behind right. when he delivers him to uh, to the client. Now, with that in mind, the only other take back I have, I have a feeling you're going to disagree, but I didn't like it, <clears throat> was one of the few pieces of zippy dialogue in this episode. And it was when Kuil tells Mando around the Jawas to lower his weapon and he says i'm a mandalorian weapons are part of my religion yes i hate that line it's the truth though it sucks that line's so lame it's the truth though i understand that it's it's the truth first of all in like the last episode of the season they make a whole meal out of how mandalorian is a creed and not a race Mm. and so we've kind of blown our cover by saying weapons are my religion here in this moment and also religion and creed same sort of thing in this instance from their perspective i know but it's supposed to be a reveal later on that they're a creed and not a race and they've already kind of not really spoiled lunch okay well either way i find it to be a very very cheesy line and not in a gratifying way okay that's fair that's that is that's for the the fact that mandalorian Mandalorians have been beloved since like 1982 yeah before even Return of the Jedi or sorry probably like 1979 or 78 or whenever the hell Boba Fett's image was very first out there oh okay um and so like Mandalorians have built up so like that it really does tie in with their history and their culture uh and just their way of being and in particular the fact that he was found by Death Watch and they're the in particular the more aggressive uh historical part of the mandalorian race and so it, it does work I, I i didn't have any issue with the line at all but uh that's, I, I get why it's a little cheesy any sure. lines that you do enjoy because of course there's so few in this line in this in fact i'll just give you my uh i'll just give you one of my questions it's my master question uh what is the first spoken line in this episode oh it takes 11 minutes for anyone to speak in this episode of tv i didn't realize that let me think is it Kuil who is the first Yep, one? it is. Does he say, like, so you're back or something? Pretty much. He says, I thought that you were dead. 
Okay, that's pretty close. But 11 minutes. That's pretty crazy. That is another major distinguisher between this and, and other popular Star Wars IP is that always, if nothing else, and even in its most action climaxes, climaxes of Star Wars, it's always chatty. Mm. It's always bantery. And this show doesn't reduce itself to that. It's not even reducing it. It just chooses to take another path. Yep. And that's why I, I thought it was very satisfying in the like the start of the the finale where they have the stormtroopers doing the like the banter. Yes. Like cause you do need to kind of fill that out. And so the fact that it is episodes, you can have those these episodes where it is a little bit quieter and you can have different tones of Star Wars, not necessarily all in each contained episode, but can be focused around different elements that would normally be kind of intermingled within a, a movie. And right, you can kind of have a few different kind of niche episodes within it within a season arc that way. So it's it could be kind of interesting um, to get some like even like the episode six is kind of horrorish the way you get um, like when the lights go out in that like jail area. Oh, I love that though. That's super cool. You're right. It does have a bit of a horror vibe. It's all like a haunted house. Somebody just cut the power and mm. and the calls coming from inside the house kind of vibe. And then they start getting like taken out bit one by one. I mean, but it's by the good guy. But no, but you're right. Yeah. It, that is definitely the the aesthetic. Yeah, and that's the other Rick Famuyiwa one. Uh, the, I do have some good lines here, though. Uh, Quill, the Jawas steal, they don't destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Din's line to little baby Oda, hey, spit that out. Yeah, hey, spit that out. I think that's funny. Yeah. Um, they really don't like you for some reason. Well, well I, I did disintegrate a few of them. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty good. Uh, uh, explain it to me again. I still do not understand what happened. Neither do I. That's just kind of good dialogue. It's not really punchy, but it's good. You sound like a Wookiee. <laughs> yeah, that, so that's not in, in basic, but it is said. Yeah, and you can hear the Wookiee. Uh, Wookiee. <laughs> I am honored, but I have worked a lifetime to be free of servitude. This is after Kuwil has been offered an opportunity to join ranks. Yes, that is a good line. Uh, thank you for bringing peace to my valley. The egg. Also that one, like, the egg. The egg. It's probably what we should call the episode. Call it the egg. Yeah, yeah, that's the fine egg, with me. Exclamation mark. Egg, egg, uh, and good or, you, luck. or you sound like a Wookie. Sure, either one's fine with me. And good luck with the child. May it survive and bring you a handsome reward. I have spoken. Mm. It's Man, good. I love the I have spokens. Yeah, I know. It's a good little character. It's phenomenal. A little quirk. Uh, a Padawan question: What physical attribute distinguishes these Jawas from the ones we know on Tatooine? They have red eyes as opposed to yellow eyes. Yeah, why is that? Uh, just to, I think, distinguish that we're not on Tatooine. Okay, but they are the same creature, or is it they just have the same kind of... I mean, they're obviously the same creature. Yeah, I just different racial difference, I guess. Some dogs are brown, some are white. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, there are a few of those kind of... like Well, Twi'leks, for example. Uh, there's a whole range of Twi'lek skin colors in Star Wars. Right. Uh, my Padawan question, um, how many of what attack Mando and Baby Yoda in the opening scene? Um, I don't know what they're called. I know we've seen them before. They're like, like I said, they're kind of reptilian. They're lizardy. Mm, can you name the character we've seen of this same race before? Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yes, it's it's one of the bounty hunters, like from the lineup, right? Yep. I don't know the character's name. The character's Bosk. Oh yeah. And they're Trandoshans. Okay. So yeah, the, both of those things are familiar. Yeah, three Trandoshans attack. Oh, it's just three of them. Yeah. That's a good scene. It's a yeah, good. It is like, good happened along the way kind of scene it was interesting because there's a shot from that scene that was like revealed prior to and it looks like action figures yeah whereas it was phenomenal 
but like on a freeze frame it looked like action figures where it was weird uh, whereas like just in motion it, it looked great yeah in general, I thought this episode looked great. Oh, that it did. When he's like tossing Jawas like out into the dust. Yeah. It's amazing visuals. It's, it's a really good example of what we can do with TV if you have endless resources. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> but there are some things that I, I thought it was interesting about the cost of this show. Like People talk about like, oh, $120 million and like the cost per episode or whatnot. But there's also the capital purchases of like Baby Yoda. Yep. He costs $5 million. Wow. That much. Yeah. Like, that's expensive. Yep. That uh, was worth every penny. Clearly. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> uh, two or five. Uh, and Maz Kanata uh, was animatronic for some weird reason in The Rise of Skywalker and cost yeah. even more than Baby Yoda. That is weird. But she she was... No, she was CG mocap in The Force Awakens, Force Awakens. which is dumb as hell to just switch that up and yeah. spend so much more money. Yeah. What was the point there? Trying to... Some kind of purity, I guess. And JJ being yeah. JJ. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Another thing that's interesting about this episode is not a single human face. That's interesting. The whole time, not a single human face this whole episode. These are some interesting things you've picked up yeah. on. Uh, my night question, uh, what does Din refer to the Sandcrawler as? Uh, I don't know. He calls it the Crawling Fortress. Well, that's kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah. No. I don't have any more trivia for you. It was really, really hard. I mean, I usually kind of derive my trivia questions from dialogue and there was just so little. <laughs> Uh, and my, I'll give you a different master question. What's the main eye color of the mudhorn? Green? Red. Oh, that's red. Okay. So there's lots of red-eyed creatures on this planet. Mm. What planet is this? Uh, that was another one that I could have given you. Uh, Arvala 7. 7. I knew there was a 7 in it. Yeah. And there's Navarro, and then there's, um, uh. What's the peaceful one? Sereno or no, no, that's where Count Dooku's from. I don't know. Doesn't matter. These are in but, the same neighborhood. But but like there's only a few like I think there's only five planets in the season. The ice one in the very opening shots doesn't have a name. Right. Uh, and then there's Tatooine, obviously. So. Okay. That's all I have to say about this chapter of The Mandalorian. Yeah, the only other things I really wanted to mention on this one uh, were about particularly Baby Yoda getting so tuckered out Yeah, when he saves the Mandalorian and also how excited he is to catch and eat the frog. Oh, I know. He's just, this is the episode where you fall in love with Baby Yoda. Well, I mean, you don't really see him in the previous one. You can see that it's a surprise, oh, but you don't have a minute to see how cute he is in the first episode. You do fall in love with the little finger thing, though. Sure, right? yeah. <laughs> but no, this one is great for that. And uh, seeing inside the sand crawler was cool. Yeah. That was kind of a weird thing. Because, I mean, we've seen in, part of inside the sand crawler at the very start of Star Wars. So it's it's nice to see kind of a different angle. Isn't it interesting that they also use the same, like, structure? Like, yeah. this culture of Jawas, no matter what planet, they use the same kind of vehicle for getting around. They have the same mandate, where whatever planet they're on. Yeah, they're just a little, uh, what are they called? Um little scavengers they are but do you suppose there's some kind of governance of the jawa that like, ray is a jawa <laughs> in a way she's a jaw she's the prettiest of the jawa that's right well, do you know how ugly jawas are so ugly yes. oh my god they're hideous yes i've seen that in the visual dictionary they're really gross yeah. red eyes or yellow eyes it's not going to make it any better pretty gross looking compared <laughs> to how cute they look with their hoods we have a lot of news to go over because we've been off for a couple of weeks yeah we have a decent amount of news for sure uh so let's dive into it so okay. taika watiti yep 
Let's go right into that one. He was, uh, it's believed, THR says that uh, he was reported uh, to be, a, Disney approached him to do a Star Wars movie. Yep. They're, they're usually pretty reliable, so that's encouraging. Maybe it's the Feige project in which he said he had a his finger on someone from the MCU that he wanted to work with. Maybe it was Taika. Uh, maybe this is something that FNF decided they wanted to push Maybe like this is one that probably everybody involved is on board with. This just sound. This just makes complete sense. It's one of those things where I just can't imagine anybody being a naysayer for Taika Waititi directing a Star Wars movie. There's nobody in their right mind who would have a problem with that. No, this like Deborah Chow, uh, probably the second and, and third best episodes of this of the season. But in my opinion, the best episode is the finale, and yeah. Taika did that one. So I thought it was. I, think it's phenomenal it just makes sense he's got the the great sense of humor that we can kind of bring back we're going into some new era probably mm-hmm. so it'll be curious to know if, if he is kind of being the one to define that area because that'll give a real ownership over the tone that you'll be able to have there yes too absolutely so it'll be interesting if we're going back old republic or high republic era which is the 400 years which still seems to be having some traction as the likely uh, next era for the movies, at least. Right. Um, the uh, Obi-Wan TV show. Yeah, okay. So this is kind of a rich area, a kind of a sensitive area. Yeah. What is, before we go into the specifics of it, what is the biggest misconception you'd like to clear up about this news? What is the thing you most want to prevent people assuming or presuming? Well, I mean, a lot of people thought it was canceled. Yes. So that's not true. It's not true. Uh. A lot of people think it's delayed. That's not true. Okay. Um, it's pushed back production. Uh, Ewan McGregor says they still may be able to have this ready on time. Um, oh. But there's rumors that it's going to potentially switch from six episodes to four. Uh, wow. There is, they were not happy with the, the scripts. Uh, Hossein Amini, who was the brought in to, to kind of lead the writing, uh, was let go, uh, which is a good thing. Um, but man, the turnover in these executive creative roles at Star Wars has been like really ugly. It's really, really ugly. But Deborah Chow and Ewan McGregor are still completely on board as opposed to starting filming this summer. It's going to start uh, at the start of 2021 instead. It seems like Ewan McGregor hasn't even been muscled at all, which sometimes Disney wants to do in these situations. These like uh, these damage control PR situations. He immediately made a statement about yeah. how it's not as dramatic as people think it is. Exactly. People like are blowing it out of proportion. And to be honest, what did we what have I been saying nonstop about the rise of Skywalker? It was rushed. rushed. It wasn't like it, it was a, a boat with a million leaking holes and they only had time to plug some of them and then they left the hull with a giant hole. Like there's a lot of problems that you can have if you're gonna rush a project. I said you recently so don't rush fucking obi-wan the most important one to not screw up and not just because it's precious to people but because it represents a lot of the future of lucasfilm and and people's faith in disney to manage this ip and i said to you recently if not on the podcast then just over text that as much as i liked rise of skywalker had it been a little bit more perfect i would have waited two more years absolutely and they can stall obi-wan i mean i don't want i think most people would i don't know like what sane person would have rather have a worse movie but let's face it had we had two more months, that movie could have easily, easily, yep. uh, and I'll use the Rotten Tomatoes element because 
the the shitty score it has on Rotten Tomatoes is a reflection on the shitty editing and how quickly it was put together. It could have been 20 minutes longer too, which is a thing I almost never say about movies. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just an example of the movie probably had most of the pieces to make sense and make it work, but it was just so hacked together at the end that it's like, why would you spend so much money and then just kind of give a half-assed version because you just run out of time because you said in 2013 that you wanted it like released on this day yeah that seems pretty fucking stupid it is really a really silly thing to get hung up on I, exactly and so with the obi-wan thing push it back that's great the hossein amini guy the he's had uh his imdb is not not is not good the mm. thing that people are saying that like oh well he did that so that makes me more that's a little bit more encouraging is drive the kind of the which you and i hated I didn't like Drive, but people did. Yes, and so if that's his one redeeming project, that's not encouraging enough for me. True. Why in the world is that guy writing Obi-Wan? Right. Uh, and then you did send me a link about uh, Dave Filoni being a potential. That was it, That's just a speculation piece. It's not necessarily... One of those wishful thinking yeah, articles. Yeah, I kind of looked into, into some of those parts. But Dave Filoni is a very, very, very logical person to do it. The last person to address Obi-Wan in canon was when... Well, I mean, you could say the line he has in The Rise of Skywalker, but like when he has the episode in Rebels where we get the final, we get the end of Darth Maul. Dave Filoni shows that he understands Obi-Wan. There's nothing that he has shown that he hasn't understood. Right. And so if it's going to be short contained, this is going to be the end of the Obi-Wan legacy. And if you do it right, it should be the end of the Vader legacy too. Give it to the guy who knows what he's doing. I agree, but for some reason I have this... Um ineffable desire for obi-wan to be like really theatrical and i don't know that that filoni can't necessarily pull that off but where i want there to be like you know action and travel and all the essential things of a star wars production mm. i for some reason want an awful lot of two guys in a room talking in the obi-wan show i want like i want like really good soliloquies in the obi-wan show yeah that's important to me for some reason yeah no that's understandable and like I don't like you, we have Deborah Chow directing it, and so that's one thing that like gives me a lot of confidence about the execution on it. And so I think that as long as the right thread lines and the the overall writing is in the right direction, I think I think we'll be okay. And the way that Darth Vader was handled in Rebels, uh, as well, is incredible. That's that's amazing and shocking. He handles Darth Vader so damn well in Rebels. He wow. is terrifying. Uh, and uh, Darth Vader versus Ahsoka at the end of season two of Rebels is one of the best moments in Star Wars, period. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's one of the last moments we see Anakin before his return uh, in Return of the Jedi. Okay. And so it's like, I I've got a lot of confidence in that one, right? for sure. Uh, but overall, it's not the end of the world. So let's shift into a bit of a rumor that's on a similar notion in terms of involving Dave Filoni, but a huge, huge rumor in the sense that like, take it with like a crate size grain of salt. Okay. Uh, but the rumor is that George Lucas has offered uh, to come back if they if they're willing to give him control with Dave Filoni and that they're like, he, he's willing that like, yes, Dave Filoni's your employee so he can report to you. But he report, but like when it comes to creative, I don't report to anyone. He wants more creative control than Dave Filoni. No, no, no. Like, 
George Lucas would come back as partners to partner with Dave Filoni to get Star Wars back in the right spot as long as he didn't have like nobody brings nobody tries to meddle and be an additional cook in the kitchen. He'll have Dave Filoni as his other cook in the kitchen. Okay. A guy who's like everybody involved loves and trusts. Right. Kathleen Kennedy, Bob Iger, everybody and George Lucas more than anyone. So in in this hypothetical, mm. Dave Filoni, had he been around to help George in the same uh, the same kind of partnership they had that he's describing on Clone Wars? I understand, but it, more conventionally speaking, mm. had he been around for say the prequels uh, to write the scripts and to punch them up and to polish things off and just to sand the edges, mm. those movies would have been better. Yes. Yes. And so that's what George is saying. He he eventually because yeah. Dave Filoni and you you read that great article showing the hero's journey with that as well. But like right. Dave Filoni has like the first couple episodes of Clone Wars aren't great, and the first introduction of Clone Wars that movie is dog shit. And right. so like at maybe the, Phantom Menace still would have sucked, but exactly. Revenge of the Sith would have been shocking. <laughs> exactly by by the end, Dave Filoni would have yeah exactly in that same kind of way. And at this point in his career, I think it only speaks for itself. The but. only way I see Disney agreeing to this is for some kind of image rehabilitation reason. Mm-hmm. For some kind of this will ingratiate us with the fans and show that we care what they think. And it wouldn't necessarily because they be because they have a lot of faith in George or even Filoni. I would agree. And also the Filoni part, I think, would be big. But I also think it's, in fact, that if you dial back the clock, he was supposed to be in charge of creative all along. Yeah. They just were too many cooks in the kitchen. And so he quit. Because but there's never not going to be too many cooks in the kitchen at Disney. They're never the, going to give away their executive right to right of refusal. And that's why I don't think any of this is true. Right. Because I don't I think George Lucas knows that and I don't think they would entertain it for that. I think they would entertain that notion if it was ever brought up. Mm. I don't think they would ever follow through and I think they would ultimately break that promise again and I think George Lucas does not want to be like a promise broken to him again right i think that the fact that he's showing up on set for mandalorian is because he's willing to work with dave filoni and if filoni and favreau become in charge of like creative it wouldn't shock me if george lucas came back on for other things but i mean i i think this is a i don't i don't think this is at all true no Uh, it would be amazing and it would make it would make a lot of sense if they said hey george let's bring you back it's like a three-year contract we're gonna do these three projects or like five-year and like it's for arab and like setting building and like for you to teach us why we're idiots Mm -hmm. um but like that way it's not gonna be just your your rick callum yes men of the prequels but your kind of a better balance but i don't think that would end up happening so that's why i don't think it's true it could have been just something he said casually to a reporter it 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 could be something he said with intention but knowing that it was an empty promise because that it would never come to anything or it could be completely made up oh i think it's completely made up but you're right absolutely there there are so many different ways that contextually it could just not be true or could mean something different or who knows and it's probably pulled from the behind the scenes mandalorian stuff and that's probably where the speculation has been created right uh 
Clone Wars, uh, it is coming back on the 21st, not the 17th. It was everybody, for some reason, in the world thought it was 17th. Okay. It's the 21st. Uh, the poster for it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you watch the trailer? Yeah, it looks it awesome. It looks awesome. It looks really... I, I didn't even watch that show, but I'm going to watch this. Holy shit, it looks awesome. I watched uh, season six of The Clone Wars again recently just to kind of get ready for it. And man, I'm just... It's such a fun era and seeing... Like, we're going to be going past... The, like we're going to be going past order 66. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. It's going to happen in this season. Yeah. Which like, is cool. All of like there are moments in revenge of the Sith that are in that trailer. Yeah. That's cool. That's really to cool. To recontextualize some of those moments. You still haven't watched resistance. No, no. And it's not at the top of my list, but I mean, at some point you should watch that. It's just two seasons. Yep. It's probably like it gives a little bit of color, if not tons. Uh, yeah, I've heard it's, it's a, it's, it's not great. I've heard, I've heard it, it, it's the, like, Rebels and Clone Wars, maybe there's the episode here and there where you're like, oh, this is kind of kiddish. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just a little too much of that in every episode for Resistance that it might not be tolerable, but maybe it is. Maybe there's a couple episodes that are, like, really good and I could go through and maybe try those out first and see what's what. Right. Um, because, I mean, Kylo Ren's a character in it, so... Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else plays Kylo Ren? There's another voice for Kylo Ren? Oh, I assume so. Yeah. yeah. That's how they always do those things. Do you uh, see any... for the occasional... Well, Oscar Isaac played Poe in Resistance, didn't he? Yes, he did for a couple of... Uh, like, I don't I don't think he was in it much, but I think, yeah, he, he did for, for certain parts of it. And like Daisy Ridley and like John Boyega, I think they had to like lend their voices to other things when they originally signed their contracts because yes. they, it was free <laughs> did you see any of driver host and snl the other night uh, i did watch uh undercover boss of course and yeah. oh my god it was great really funny uh, he was phenomenal through the whole I thing fly like luke skywalker <laughs> he'll die like him too yes, that was amazing um the whole thing is good and for a guy who we understand to be like kind of oh, shy the monologue too the monologue like he just has a natural i've still never seen him be bad in anything no. i've never seen him fail no. adam driver no he's incredible yeah uh, someone actually pointed out uh, on Reddit, I was just scrolling through, uh, what one of the big differences between Ben Solo and Kylo Ren, and it's, it is the hair. Yes. It's the fact that the hair is swept back as sure. Ben Solo. And totally. It's, and it's, I, I didn't realize that, but that's, that is one of the big ones. And the fact that because it's swept back, it's also more noticeable that his scars are not there too. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. And his scar's not there. It's not, but yeah. it's also just like, cause he just, he looks very different. Yes. The, the stupid question on Reddit, uh, it was a stupid question i'll call it what it was uh was that did they alter adam driver's face with cgi when he was ben solo i'm like no there's the thing called makeup and, yeah, and you know, lighting and, and exactly <laughs> the fact that you know they're kind of in hell yeah. and like the lighting's a little weird when you're in a giant cave versus you're you know. watching a movie if you were to see adam driver on the street he wouldn't look like kylo ren either no that's right he or would, ben solo he, he would look very dorky probably yeah <laughs> wear adidas and a ball hat yeah. uh okay anything else so there are some rumors that uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, a while back there was rumors that there was going to be a script written to do a reimagining as a film, and then it was rumored that it was going to be a TV series, and now it's rumored that it's back to being a game, uh, yeah. or that it's been that all along, or that it's something different, or that the Jedi Fallen Order sequel isn't actually a Jedi Fallen Order sequel, but is a Knights of the Old Republic reimagining. Mm-hmm. So there is potential that's going to come back, but an open world Star Wars game would be pretty damn exciting so that would be pretty cool it seems overdue it does i mean jedi fallen order is good uh it's a lot of fun i played it uh and there's some like really good lightsaber stuff in it and so the mechanics are great mm-hmm. 
but and the story's good, but you want more open world capabilities like you can do with like Assassin's Creed, um, where you can kind of just really roam freely in something that's less linear. It's, it's just too linear um, and too much backtracking in Jedi Fallen Order, right. which just gets a little tiring, a little too much animal murder. Jedi's don't kill animals so much. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's just a little too many like monsters, you know, but like not enough stormtrooper killing in that regard. Right. In the sense that that's who you're more likely to kill or I don't know. It's just a little too much invasion against these animal species that you have to kill on their planets, which isn't really Jedi like. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, and a few other things, uh, I guess, based on Duel of the Fates. So this is not really rumor stuff, but C- Colin Trevorrow did reveal that. Yes, his Duel of the Fates scripts have been going around and that the images that were uh, originally released from a black market uh, expanded version of the art of the Rise of Skywalker in Korea. Mm -hmm. I don't know how any of that stuff makes sense. It's amazing how stuff gets around. It does, but... Oh my God, some of the artwork is incredible. Really it is so cool. And also, there were two different versions of the script that did go around, and I did find out some more information. So some of the stuff that I chatted about last time, I can add a bit of context to as well. Um, and so it is a, it's a holocron where Kylo finds uh, Palpatine that kind of tells him all the information. Um, and in particular, this Tor Valum character, this like 7,000-year-old being that uh, Palpatine sends Kylo to to kind of finish his dark side training, uh, there is heavy implication that it's Darth Plagueis. Okay. And so this this creepy gray creature crawling out of like this deep sort of kind of pond thing, that is the art concept for Torvalum slash potentially what Darth Plagueis um, would have been canonized as. That's a thing we didn't really discuss about how there was some reason to believe Darth Plagueis might come in to to button this series and it never ultimately goes there because they make Palpatine the ultimate big bad of, of exactly. Skywalker Skywalker and, and so should they but yes. it, it would be nice if there was some kind of other allusion to Darth Plagueis in canonical Star Wars other than that opera house scene yeah no I, I completely agree and I and it goes away from what they I mean I think Darth Plagueis is partly to kind of allow you to view like the thought of potentially Anakin being created by the dark side. And so he brings up that notion and that's not the way they wanted to go, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, But I agree. Palpatine was the right thing to do. I just thought they did it really poorly, which was just a bummer in that regard. Yeah. Um, But they have some other cool artwork of Ray with the, the double bladed blue lightsaber. Uh, Bonadan is a cool looking planet. It looks very similar to Kajimi, but more, um, like Southeast Asia Kajimi. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's cool. It looks very Pirates of the Caribbean, um, like at World. It, it, it's it's a cooler look. It's Kajimi, but cooler. Okay. Uh, did I tell you how Hux dies in the script? No. So Hux is trying the entire movie to use the Force. Oh, God. Because he's obsessed with Kylo Ren and not being Kylo Ren and not being capable. And so he has... Uh, at one point, you see in his office, he has a, like a wall of lightsabers that he's collected over the years of oh, fallen Jedi. That's kind of badass. It is. And when he realizes the war that he's lost, he takes Mace Windu's off the shelf and kills himself. Uh, I don't like that. I don't mind it. I don't like... First of all, I don't like suicide in Star Wars. That's fair. 
I, I like that he has all the lightsabers. I actually do kind of like that he's that he's like trying to will himself to have the force because it's yeah. just it further explains that he doesn't understand it and he never will. Exactly. And Kylo keeps telling him like we don't need any more super weapons. Mm-hmm. Once I have the power that I'm after, and he keeps asking Kylo like, do you have this power yet? Right. Because we're kind of fucked here. Uh, and also, what I didn't realize is when the Resistance send out, sends out the beacon to the galaxy, um, like spreading the message. So Leia is, it's kind of like a help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope right. to the entire galaxy. Uh, and how it stopped is Kylo Ren does what he does in the start of The Force Awakens. Is when he when he leaves like the Remnicor planet, the Sith planet, it's going on. Yeah, and he get and he notices the transmission and he shuts it down with the Force. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. It is really cool. <laughs> it, no, overall, I don't like that better than what happens to Hux in Rise of Skywalker. I I like that he I, indirectly turns on the First Order. I like this ten times better. I don't like that Mace Windu is involved at all. I like the Mace Windu lightsaber thing. I don't give a shit about that. That doesn't like. I think that's that's a little Easter egg. I think it's maybe. I think the Easter egg should be not Mace Windu's lightsaber. Give us somebody less known, be someone more obscure, and not the only purple fucking lightsaber we know. You can make it something else. Like give us like Yarl Poof's lightsaber, so nobody knows what lightsaber it is. I think the except only for the, some random. I think the only way to make that work, and I'm still ha- I'm still reluctant to accept a suicide in Star Wars, even from a, a like a villainous kind of uh, demagogue like this character would be if you were to show the inside of his office, he looks up at the wall of lightsaber handles that he's collected and then they don't show it. That they that they you see the door close and maybe you hear it or something like that. I, I don't I don't think they should Yeah, that's fair. Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh like but similar you could do it similar to the way you do the Snoke death. Um I mean you don't need to like zoom out after but you could have it so that like you just yeah you like see his face or something or you hear him fall to the ground after you hear the lightsaber ignite or something I think like that's that. a little better yeah Uh you do see you can kind of make out what Kylo's new mask looks like it looks a little bit more Vaderesque um but you kind of can't really tell it from the artwork Ray's outfit is identical to Luke's in Return of the Jedi that's cool yeah they would never have been able to do that I mean the outfit they went with was so that they could have scenes with Carrie Fisher and make that work yeah that's probably they were they had their hands tied there it would have been nice to put her in black robes in this final movie yeah it would but they went with the, the complete opposite pure white and so I I like that too sure in, in the sense that they do a very angelic kind of approach with Ray for the movie that they go with. Uh, one thing that I didn't really realize, and one thing that really makes this script bad, um, and the kind of thing where... The Trevorrow script. Yes. Like, there were a lot of things here that J.J. and Terrio threw away just so that they could do their own thing that they did a shittier job on. Okay. A much shittier job on. Bonadin's the ex- an exact example of, like, it's such a clear Kajimi, like, the, the inspiration, it's the same thing. It serves a very similar point, but, like, Bonadin's cooler. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like there's a lot, like, a handful of these kind of things. Like, Mortis was replaced by Exicle. Mortis is better. What happens on Exicle, um, like, but, like, so Ray uses the dark side, mm-hmm. and, like, she taps into her anger and is okay with that. And then Yoda and Obi-Wan and Luke are like, yeah, that was, that was a good call. Okay. And that's just not how... You're not okay with that. That's not how the Force works. <laughs> that goes... like That is... like Freddie Prince Jr. did this amazing rant on YouTube a little while back or on, on whatever. And 
it would it, essentially everything that he is talking about in that and how George Lucas and Dave Filoni have explained to him how the force works. Uh, and I love it because it's exactly how I've, I've read and followed and, and like it, it's it's it couldn't be more accurate. It's the perfect summation, but it's just done in a ranted yell form, right? Uh, as to why that's not what balance in the force is. That's not what light it like. Balance in the force isn't like a bunch of bad things and a bunch of good things. Like Jedi just allow the force to work in the way that it's meant to. The dark side, dis- like it, it's a plague. It's a disease on the force. Balance in the force is when it's not diseased. Well, in this case, quite literally, Ray using the dark side to overcome another version of the dark side. Two wrongs don't make a right. Exactly. It's just like, <laughs> it's it's basically like, so she uses the dark side to beat Kylo in a fight or like, and then so Kylo's down and out and then she goes off and faces against the Knight of Ren and then that Knight of Ren beats her and then Kylo throws himself in front of the blade to die as well, which is dumb. The Knights of Ren are better used in this, though. Sure. So they use the Knights of Ren as a big baddie, which I like Palpatine better as the big baddie. But one of the Knights of Ren, for example, has the Darksaber. Yes. Which we see at the end of Mandalorian Season 1. Mm-hmm. That would have been a really cool way to kind of tie things together. That it they're like collecting these items and that... Uh, at one point in the movie when Rey, uh, I said, takes out all the Knights of Ren, she doesn't take out all the Knights of Ren in all the versions. And in one of the versions, Chewie grabs one of the Knights of Ren, throws him up in the air, and shoots him like a clay pigeon, which is so, <laughs> so fucking cool. I do love that. I really wish we could have seen that. Yeah. Uh, just someone with a scruff of their neck and just thrown in the air. <laughs> just skeet shooting a Knight of Ren. <laughs> yeah. I love and, it. And like their armor, I can just hear it like clanking and like yeah. shattering the way it would. That's beautiful. It would have been really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, there is the image of Luke Skywalker grabbing Kylo Ren's blade uh, and saying, you're no Skywalker, which is a pretty badass moment. Uh, yeah, that's Force cool. Ghost grabbing the blade, uh, similar to the way that Rey uses uh, the Force to stop Kylo's blade, and then Kylo does the same to her. But I mean, it's hard for me to accept Luke telling uh, Kylo Ren, you're no Skywalker, now that we know that he becomes Ben Solo and he's redeemed, and that is ultimately what I want for that character. Mm-hmm. But you could also find a way to tell that story uh, wherein Kylo Ren is no Skywalker, the way he never wanted to be anyway. Ben mm-hmm. Solo is... And he dies one, mm. but but there is kind of two characters there, and that was like a in the same Absolutely. way there was two characters between Anakin and Vader. Like yep. they could have done a little bit more to mirror that. I fear. No, and and I absolutely agree, and I think that that's why, and I definitely think that they, in every way, shape, and form, they do right by Ben Solo, Kylo Ren in the Rise of Skywalker. That's the most redeeming quality about it. Like when I first left the movie, I was like, wow, like what, like. One of my favorite characters, one of the best characters in this entire saga, they really just kind of did him dirty. Mm. But at the same time, it's all one big story. And now we have this other character who was an awesome character, but is now 10 times even more awesome yep. after the best arc any characters had in Star Wars. And so you like you take the good with the bad and kind of the trade off on those ones. And so overall, there are some things that are a huge disappointment that uh terio and jj just decided that we weren't we're not going to use which they 100 percent should have yeah but the the movie that we got was was like would likely have been better than this and the movie that we got with two months more editing would have guaranteed be better than this yes the title here is definitely better yeah and there's way better approach on a lot of things in the sense that jj is trying to check a lot of boxes but i think a lot of people saying that this would have been like definitely better or, or just wrong mm-hmm. like the use of coruscant is the right call yeah the use of mortis is 
probably the right call. The use of Palpatine, though, is probably the right call. Calling it Duel of the Fates is the right call. I have to imagine the only yes, reason. Yes, it is. The only reason JJ script isn't called that is just because a few too many executives who don't play baseball aren't familiar with that phrase. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, I just, it's just, it's it's so good in every way. Yep. But it's what it is. I'm sure it'll be used for some other Star Wars content at some point, but that would have been the one to use it for. You'd think so. Is that all you got for this week? Uh, yep, that would be, uh, yeah, that's everything. Oh, oh, I also wanted to say Ray's last name because she is Ray from nowhere. Yeah. Uh, her last name is atrocious. In, uh, really? So we have Kylo Ren being Skywalker Solo. Yeah. Ray from nowhere. Her last name is Solana. Because? Solo Organa. Ew. Yeah, that's yep. dumb. That's pretty bad. That's really terrible. That's pretty bad. Yeah. And also Kylo Ren is the one who kills her parents. Yeah, sure. So young Ben Solo under direction of Snoke, go kill all the young force sensitive beings in the galaxy. He kills her parents. Can't kill her. Okay. Voldemort. Uh, isn't it amazing how, how often I'm able to work a Harry Potter metaphor into Star Wars? Well, it's the same story. No, but in a lot of ways, it is. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, all these stories are because they yes. do follow kind of the same key, like hero's journey. Your big baddie is the devil. Right. And, and Jesus Christ. Yes. It's all the same story. Happy birthday, Sunday, February 3rd to Warwick Davis. Oh, nice. That's the only birthday, remarkably. It's a really like light birthday season here for Star Wars. That's interesting because he plays so many characters. I know. Yeah, that's true. He covers a lot of ground all on one day. Happy birthday, Warwick Davis. I forgot to come up with a, a good um, Gotta Cast one. So I'm just going to rack my brain. I've been doing that for the last 10 minutes when I realized that I didn't have one. I finally got around to watching uh, Rocket Man the other day. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, is really great. Like I've heard that. Really good. And I've I heard it just... Lo- it. it- didn't get any due because Bohemian Rhapsody got way overdone. Yeah, if you had like flipped, if you had reversed the releases of those two movies, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody would have gone nowhere. Mm. Uh, and uh, and Rocket Man, it might have won him an Academy Award. Certainly would have been nominated, which he otherwise wasn't. Uh, but with that conversation in mind, if you got to cast one, is it going to be Taron Egerton or Rami Malek? Oh, screw you. It's tough, right? They're both great. They're both excellent. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people wanted and a lot of people believe he was one of the finalists for, for young Han Solo, Taron Edgerton. Yeah. Uh, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so he could really be, I mean, you could put him in anything. Uh, Rami Malek is not, like, he's not going to be what you'd expect for your, your hero. No, it really seems like, like conventionally there's an obvious actor here in this choice who who played the hero and the other is the villain i mean like and maybe that's just because our next rami malik project is well, no that's time what to i die. was gonna say is yeah. it'll be interesting to see his his villainous approach there as a super villain yes because i think he'll be insanely good at it sure uh so i think he could play someone who's super sadistic He's and just is a creepy like, person yeah someone just willing to <laughs> let the dark side completely consume them yes uh and his eyes look all creepy and bugged out anyway mm-hmm. Um, Taron Edgerton, though, he could be a really good lead to, to, uh, to damn near any project. He's so charismatic. He really is. Yeah. Um, I'll go with him because, uh, he's, uh, he's a, he's a Brit who can do a good American accent, just like John Boyega. So let's go with, let's go with that. Okay. A very nice call. 
Let us know who you're going to cast in Star Wars. Rami Malek, Taryn Edgerton. Email us at recorder66podcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at recorder66. Uh, rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And uh, if you want to be caught up to us by next week's podcast, watch up until the end of the third chapter of the first season of The Mandalorian on Disney+. And until we're together again, may the Force be with you.